Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. How many of you that felt like an eternity? Like you're like, that had to have been more than two minutes, right? You're like, that was at least 30 minutes, right? Yeah, some of you love it. Some of you like felt like, I'm going to fall asleep. Yeah. You ever fall asleep trying to pray? Just, I had a professor in college that was like, just take a holy nap if that happens. It's, a, it's good advice. We're really overtired. We are an overtired culture. We're an overtired people. Again, this has nothing to do with my message, but I really felt like the Lord was just putting his finger on this this morning during worship. And I, I think what happens is we come out of the holidays, some of us are rested, some of us come out of the holidays more tired. Maybe we're emotionally tired because there's some weird family dynamics and stuff that we're navigating, and maybe we're more tired coming out of holidays. And I just think you, you get through January, and we go, wow, we're going to fast, and we're going to start the year, and, and we do all these things. And then by the time you get into February, you start going like, this is like a 12-month thing. This isn't like a one-month sprint, and I'm tired already. So I just want you to know you have permission to do what we just did every single day, multiple times a day. Get up two minutes earlier so you can sit in silence for two minutes. Whatever you need to do. But don't uh, let the opportunity go for you to be able to be present with Jesus. Sound good? Okay. Good. Let's get into the, in, in, into the, the message today. I'll, I'll probably circle back around to that, as we, that idea that we just talked about as we close, I think. But um, We're going to continue a, a series that we started a couple weeks ago. Um, we're studying words in, in the Bible, specific words uh, that, are, that are really important to our discipleship to Jesus, our followership to Jesus. I think the word this morning is particularly important to us, uh, especially uh, as we are um, a newer church community, a newer church family, uh, and there's much more ahead of us than behind us. So um, here's how I want to frame uh, what I want to talk about this morning. We, we read a lot of, um, can I get my slides up on the screen, guys? Uh, we read a lot of books in our house, um, our, our girls. We do uh, books every night, story time. And um, my, f my daughter, Harper, her favorite author is Eric Carle. Anyone love Eric Carle? Uh, he actually just passed away in May. I was thinking, I was like, oh, it just recently happened. It was like almost a year ago already. That's crazy uh, how time flies. But Eric Carle, if you're not familiar with him, you might be familiar with his most famous book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Ah, now you're like, oh, that's Eric Carle. So this, this book gets read a lot in our house. And just a quick synopsis if you're not familiar with the story of a very hungry caterpillar. Uh, it, the very hungry caterpillar, uh, it, it comes out of his cocoon on a little leaf on, uh, bright on a Sunday morning as the warm sun's coming up. You can tell I've read this book a lot. 
and on Monday, he eats through one apple, but he's still hungry. And then Tuesday, he eats through two pears, but he's still hungry. And on Wednesday, he eats through three plums, but he's still hungry, and he keeps going. And by the time he gets to Saturday, he eats through, I can't list all the things, but there's a pickle and an ice cream cone and a chocolate cake and cherry pie and Swiss cheese and and a, a slice of sausage and like just tons of stuff. And it says at the end of the day, he had a stomach ache. He wasn't hungry anymore. He had a stomach ache. And then he had, it says, a nice green leaf on Sunday and he felt a little better. And then suddenly, he wraps himself in a cocoon. Do you know the story? And then on the final page of the book, he bursts out as a beautiful butterfly. How many of you love that story? Great story. It's a great story. Now, I have read that story, I can't tell you how many times over the last three years of my daughter's life. Um, But every time, for some reason, it always surprises me when there's a butterfly on the last page of the book. And the reason, it's not because I don't, like, if you asked me, I'm going to, of course, there's a butterfly at the end. I know what's coming. But for some reason, reading this so much, I find myself getting caught up in the pattern of of each day and getting caught up in the caterpillars day to day, right? Oh, there's an apple. Now there's two pears. Now there's three plums. Trust me, you read the book enough, and, and this is, like, where my brain goes. And I'm just, like, caught up in the pattern of it. You're just so used to kind of that flow and that pattern, reading the book over and over again. I could read it with my eyes closed. Uh, and, and so it's almost like this refreshing change of pace when at the end you're like, oh, it's not just about eating a bunch of food. The caterpillar was trying to get energy to turn into a butterfly. This was going somewhere. And, and I read it, and I forget about that a lot of times. But why I'm bringing this up is because I think I do that a lot, and maybe you do that a lot, too, in our walk with Jesus. We, we do a lot of really important things, and we do them very honestly, not even hypocritically. We, we pray, we're re- reading the Bible, we're in a life group, uh, we're serving our community, we're on mission together. Uh, all of these things, we're, we're worshiping, we're doing all of the things that are part of the day-to-day. And I think sometimes it might be a little bit like me reading uh, A Very Hungry Caterpillar, where we're, we're, these are very important things we do, but we forget that they're not the goal in and of themselves. These are pointing to something that is ultimately our destiny and our future. The caterpillar wasn't just eating to eat a bunch of food. The caterpillar was trying to get enough energy to go through a process called metamorphosis. And in this process of metamorphosis, its whole cellular structure basically breaks down inside the cocoon and reconstitutes itself as something completely different. And for us, in our walk with Jesus, these things that we do in a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, it can feel like we're going through the motions sometimes if we don't remember that these things are the, the, uh, the pieces, if you will, that help uh, us become transformed just like a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. That word metamorphosis that describes the process that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly is uh, from the Greek word metamorpho, and that's the word that we're actually studying this morning. Metamorpho, how many of you can say that word 10 times fast? Yeah, this is the word that metamorphosis comes from, and literally, in the Greek, it means to transform the essential nature of something. 
So like I said, I, I don't know what the technical term for this is, but my understanding is when this caterpillar goes into the cocoon, it melts, it, it melts, it's not the right word, but it m basically turns into this goop and kind of reconstitutes itself. All the cells change structure. It's not like the caterpillar goes in and it just grows wings and legs and comes out. You understand that? Like, I thought that's how it worked. That's not how it works. It, it, the whole, its whole cellular structure reconstitutes itself as a new entity. And so that's why they used this Greek word to describe what happens for a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's a transformation of the, of the insect's essential nature from one thing into something completely different. You look at a, a caterpillar and you look at a monarch butterfly and, and they, you would not necessarily know that those things are the same creature, right? Been totally transformed. And that's the idea behind this word, metamorpho. So as we're continuing our series, um, more than what you think, we want to drill down on this word and why is this word so important for us following Jesus. Um, here's what's really interesting about this word. Sometimes there's a word that occurs in the Bible, and it's important because it occurs a lot. Sometimes a word is really important because you, it's very, very rare. This word only shows up in the Bible four times. Four times. All in the New Testament. Uh, two of them are in the Gospels, so the stories of Jesus. So one is in the book of Matthew, the other is in Mark. And, and in those, it's the same story about Jesus in Matthew and Mark that this word's used. And then it's used two other times, once uh, in the book of Romans, one of Paul's letters to the church in Rome. And then it's used in 2 Corinthians, another letter that Paul wrote to Jesus' followers in Corinth. And so it's only used four times. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk you through each of these four uh, passages that this word is used so we can understand why this word is important to us in West Milford in 2022 for our walk with Jesus. Are you ready to go? Oh boy. Okay. Okay, you're ready. I believe you. I believe you. Here we go. You weren't, you weren't expecting the call and response. So here's the first time it's used. Uh, let's read. We're not going to read both Matthew and Mark's account, but let's uh, read through this account. It's in Matthew 17. Verses 1 through 8. Maybe you've heard this story. It's the story of Jesus' transfiguration. And let's drill down on this word, metamorpho, a little. It says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Then Jesus, excuse me, the disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus. 
What a crazy story. What a crazy story. So here's what I want to focus on. This, this is one of the instances of this word. Jesus and Peter, James, and John, some of his closest disciples, they go up on a mountain together. And, and on this mountain, it says Jesus is transformed. That's the word metamorpho. You can see it in red there on the screen. His appearance was metamorphosed. Uh, some of your translations might say he was transfigured. Uh, and, and, or, or some, sometimes his appearance changed, but it's all the same Greek word here. Uh, and, and, and so there's this crazy thing that happens. He shines as bright as the brightest lights, probably brighter than anything they've ever seen, but brighter than anything we'd ever seen. I would imagine that the glory of God that was shining from Jesus was probably brighter than even the brightest lights that we can uh, imagine or come up with. Uh, they say that there's some light. I think the light of a nuclear blast is enough to blind you if you look directly at it and are close enough to it. So this is, if we imagine God being, I think we can assume that God is probably more powerful and his, the light and glory emanating from him is more than a nuclear blast. Uh, this would probably blind everyone there. So this is a terrifyingly bright light shining from Jesus. And Matthew says that this transformation, this metamorpho, it, it was so amazing that his face was shining like the sun. Imagine that. And his clothes became as white as light. We're not going to read the whole account in the book of Mark, but Mark adds to this. He says that his clothes became dazzling white, and he says this, it was whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. It's pretty, it's pretty bright, is what they're saying. This is blindingly shining and dazzling light. And this is the description of this metamorpho, this metamorphosis that Jesus uh, went through in that moment. Now, I just want to be clear about one thing because this can be confusing. Jesus was fully God and fully man before this moment, during this moment, and after this moment. This wasn't some transformation uh, where he became fully God. Uh, this was a, for Jesus, this was a revealing of his true fullness of his glory and the glory of the Father. And so here's Jesus going through this transformation from his uh, natural uh, body, right? The body that he was born physically in, because he's both God and man. And it was a transformation of that body into the glorified body that he would soon have after his resurrection. If you think about uh, how he was shining at different points, or, or when John sees him in the book of Revelation, it says that his his face was shining and his, his feet and arms were like bronze and his hair was shining white and his eyes were red like fire. There, there was a, a blazing brilliance to his glory that the way Jesus is described in other places. And here's the moment while he's on earth that we see that blazing, brilliant transformation. Now, one other thing that I want to explain about the context of when and where this happens, I've mentioned this once before when we, were, when we taught this story previously. Um, Jesus and, and his disciples had been on a little bit of a ministry retreat. It's about halfway through Jesus' ministry. And they're on a little retreat to this city called Caesarea Philippi. It's in what's today northern Israel. 
So uh, if you're familiar with the geography there, this is where the Golan Heights is and around that area. Uh, it's very, very far northern Israel. It's actually very mountainous there. There's ski resorts up there these days. Like it, 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 there's a lot of snow and things like that. It's a very mountainous region. Um, but in Jesus' day, Caesarea Philippi was a place known to the Jews uh, as, as a place of pure spiritual evil. They called it the gates of hell. There, there was a, a place there that was believed to be um, the home of the god Pan, uh, and it was the gates to hell. There were all sorts of um, idols and shrines and temples to various gods at this time. But all throughout the biblical story, it goes by other names in the Old Testament in different places. Even the region where this was was called the region of the serpent. Sound like a familiar thing if you're familiar with the books of the Bible, the serpent that tempted Adam and Eve. So, so it was not a good place. This is a heavy, dark place to be. If you want to think about the, 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 the most sinister, dark, evil, spiritually dark place you could possibly be, Jesus was there. And it's in this place that he chose to shine more brilliantly than he ever did in his time on earth. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that interesting? So what's happening here, and and some biblical scholars have have pointed this out, that uh, what Jesus is doing here, because of the spiritual kind of heritage of this place, Jesus in this moment is, is putting all of the spiritual powers of darkness on notice, saying, I'm here, do your worst, because you're finished. And if you notice... In both Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel, this is the moment where Jesus starts to talk about his crucifixion. And how one of the ways that Jesus' crucifixion is described is not as defeat, but as victory. The Apostle Paul, one of the things he says about Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, he says, in that moment when he was crucified, Jesus disarmed all of the powers of darkness. In the moment of his crucifixion. So there is a a spiritual power and victory over all of darkness that happened in the moment of Jesus' crucifixion. And so Jesus is shining brilliantly to say to all of this darkness, it's time to finish you. And then the rest of the story, two or three times, he begins to predict his death to his disciples. And the disciples are like, no, no, you're crazy. You can't do that. And Jesus is like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. This is how it needs to be done to destroy them. And we can go into why that is another day uh, and and what that that was all about. But this is the significance of this metamorpho word, this transformation moment where Jesus was shining brilliantly. It was a moment of pure glory shining in the darkest place to say, things are going to be different now. This is going to be different. So you say, that's great, Pastor. Fantastic. Jesus is God. So of course he's shining with all this glory. That's wonderful for him. I've got problems here in 2022 that Jesus didn't have to deal with. However you want to put that. But here is the cool thing. I mentioned there are four uses of this word in the Bible. The first two times this word is used is in Matthew and Mark in this story. The second two times this is get, gets used in Scripture, in Romans and 2 Corinthians, it doesn't describe Jesus. It describes you and I. Let's look through these together. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Read this with me. 
It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Here's the word. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see that word in red, transform. This is the same word that described what we just read about Jesus. This is the same word, metamorpho. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let him, Jesus has been metamorphosed. let him metamorpho you into a new person. Remember what this word means. It doesn't just mean you get a change of personality or you pick a new wardrobe or you get a new job or a new hobby. This is a, an essential changing, a fundamental changing of your nature. Let God transform you into a new person. A couple things I want to point out about this word for us. This is a little bit different than it is for Jesus, the way this works. With Jesus, it was a revealing of the glory that he already had from the Father, right? And that he was, he was walking into and receiving. Uh, but here, the language and the grammar is a little bit different, okay? How many of you are grammar nerds out there? We got some grammar nerds? Lindsay, I'm sorry. I think you're alone. I think you were the only one that raised your hand. Oh, we got a couple others. I see a couple others. That's good. Sorry, you're not alone. You're not alone, Lindsay. Just throwing her under the bus. Um, so so here's, here is the, here's how the verb is used, because this is a verb, to be transformed, right? It's a, it's a verb. It, this here, it, Jesus was in the past tense. He was trans, transformed. That change happened in that moment. Here, Paul is saying, let God transform you. It is in the present tense. Here's what that means. He started transforming you. He's currently transforming you. And he is going to continue the transformation process he's already started. What's that mean? You're not finished yet. Work in progress. Work in progress. Here's the other thing about this verb. It's not only in the present tense. It is passive. The verb is passive. What does that mean? It is not you doing the transformation. This is so important. This verb being passive, it is God doing the transforming work in you. Are you with me? Okay, so here, when we go back to what we were talking about before, we read our Bible, we pray, we worship, we, we're in life groups, we're in the discipleship process. We're, so we're saying like, wait, does that not matter for anything? No, God says to be renewed, by a, you, you get transformed through the renewing of your mind. And it also says, let God. There, there is something that you have to do in terms of letting go, surrendering your will, being, just like we spent time in silence a moment ago, being present to Jesus, but then at, after that point, the actual transforming work is God's job. Are you with me? So there's a partnership going on here 
as we're looking at this word. You're going to shine as brilliantly as, it, as Matthew and Mark describe Jesus. But there's two things. It's started, it's happening now, and it's not quite there yet. But also, you're not in charge of the transformation process. God is. Now that might be a comfort to some of you. Again, my control freak friends in the house, you're going insane right now because you don't get to control your transformation. One of the worst things you can do is say, God, I'm ready to talk about this with you. And he's like, but I'm talking to you about this. No, 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 we'll deal with that later. I'm ready to surrender this. And I was like, ah, we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about this. We don't get to choose what we are ready to die to. Jesus does. The Spirit does. We don't lead the Spirit. The Spirit leads us. Don't get that confused. Final thing, it kind of goes along with what we just were talking about. The verb is, uh, it is pa- uh, present tense. It's passive, but it is also an imperative. That means it's a command. Paul is commanding the church in Rome and commanding you and I to do this. Be transformed. Let God transform you. This is not a suggestion. If you are saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm following Jesus, then start surrendering your will and let him transform you. If you're not surrendering your will, if you're kicking and screaming, if you're putting up a fight, what are you doing? This is in the imperative tense for a reason. Are you all with me? So this is how this is being described here. One uh, commentator said this. He said, the use of the passive imperative, I'm so nerding on you guys hard right now. It is consonant with the truth that while this transformation is not the Christian's own doing, but the work of the Holy Spirit, they nevertheless have a real responsibility in the matter. Hear me on that. You and I have a real responsibility when it comes to this transformation. Shining brilliantly like Jesus did, absolutely. But you have a responsibility in seeing that transformation happen. The transformation is not something which is brought about in an instant, he goes on. It has to be continually repeated, or rather, it is a process which has to go on all the time in the life of the Christian. So it's not like today I'll do transformation, but tomorrow I'm not going to bother. It's, it's happening. It's happening. you got to jump in. you got to choose in. So what does that look like? It, it looks like, and this is really the surrendering of the will, the days where you don't feel like it, you do it anyway. It's like any discipline, right? You want to you wanna get more fit or, or you're trying to like build more muscle, Well, if you don't do the weightlifting that goes with that, you're just not going to build the muscle. You might not feel like it, but you do it anyway. The thing is, is that just like that time of silence, it will never feel urgent. Unless you have a a crazy crisis in your life that hits, and then what it'll be is a, a response out of, God, I need you for something. Which isn't bad, You can start there, but then what we are called to do as we grow is to come to a place where, well, I want you whether I need you or not. That's the ultimate place we're going to, and that's part of that transforming 
work. I found myself uh, uh, saying a prayer for years. Um, God, do the work in me. Transform me. Transform me. Uh, deal with these issues. I'm surrendering everything. Yeah, you want to deal with that? I wasn't ignoring it. I was pointing out all the, things that, all the things that God was pointing out. I was going after, going after. But I didn't realize that I had an unspoken part to that prayer. God, will you transform me? Search me. Point out anything I need to deal with. I'm willing to deal with it. But the part of the prayer I wasn't praying out loud was, so that I don't need you anymore. And when I began to realize that, I had to fundamentally change my posture before God because I realized I wanted him so I didn't need him. And that's not the point. You never graduate from needing God. Your transformation should lead you and does lead you into a place of love for God, a love for yourself, and a love for others. That's where transformation is taking you and taking us. I'll digress a little bit from that. I want to get to the, the final uh, scripture passage that uses this metamorpho word so we can unpack this idea of transformation a little more. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And it says this, So all of us, everyone who's following Jesus, all of us, not some of us, not the ones who uh, study better, not those who are more committed, all of us, that are following Jesus, have had the veil removed, we don't have time to get into what that means, uh, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, he makes us more and more like him as we are changed, metamorpho, into his glorious image. Paul's making reference back to that transfiguration moment. As we... Reflect the Lord's glory. Some other translations say, as we gaze, as we meditate on his glory, as we are present to Jesus, he is making us more and more like him. We are changed into his glorious image. We are metamorphosed into the same image of the one who was first metamorphosed. Just kind of saying directly what we've already been talking about. He's literally referencing this. Listen, just as you saw Jesus shining brilliantly, putting the spiritual powers of darkness on notice, Paul says, as you are present to Jesus and, and living a life before Jesus and abiding in Jesus, that same transformation is happening in you. What do you think that change is going to look like when it's done in you? You ever thought about that? Think about the, the issues in your life that you can't seem to get over. And think about how gloriously amazing and beautiful this transformation is that God is working in you. You're going to be like, we're all going to blind each other. That's not the point. But do you, do you see this? Do you, think about the freedom that awaits you. The freedom of, of, of giving into uh, false expectations that other people have of you. Instead of the expectations that Jesus alone has of you. Think, think about what it might look like to be free of pride. Think about what it might look like to be free of, of kind of cutting people off or separating yourself or keep having relationships that break down over and over again. Think about what it might mean to be so transformed that those things are no longer at work in your life. 
as we reflect the Lord's glory, he's making us more and more like him. We're being metamorphosed, transformed from one nature into a new nature, just like him. Let me break down this word a couple things because there's a couple things that are a little bit different about this than the one in Romans that we just looked at. It's also in the present and passive, so it's continually happening. It's something, the transformation is something that God is doing. It's not something we're doing. So our job is to be present to him, and this according to this verse here. Our job is to be present to him, and God does the transforming work. But then there's something interesting here. This is not a command And Paul wrote this too. This is not a command the way the other one was. The command is still valid, but Paul wanted to shed a little bit of a different light on our transformation. And this this is amazing to me. This is not in the imperative, right? The imperative is a command. Do this. Be active in this. You have a role to play. You have a responsibility in this. This is in the indicative. Anyone know what the indicative is? Here's what the indicative is. The indicative is a concrete reality. It's not theoretical. It's not contingent on something. It is a concrete reality. It's like saying the sky will be blue or water is wet. You could never touch water again, never have a sip of water, never go swimming. You could live in a dark cave miles under the earth and never come outside ever again. And it could not negate the fact that water will be wet and the sky will be blue. Right? It's that concrete of a fact. And what Paul is saying here, he's using that same case, that indicative case to say, you are being transformed. This is just a fact of how things are. As sure as the sky is blue and water is wet, you are being transformed as you continue to gaze on Jesus. That means every moment in prayer, every moment in community, every moment of service, every moment on mission, every moment in worship, every moment in scripture, every moment that you are present to Jesus, you are guaranteed that he is doing a transformative work in you. And this is what it also means. He is also at work in you when you're miserable. He's also at work in you when you're having a bad day. He's also, this is guaranteed that he is working in you when you snapped at your spouse this morning before you left the house. He is also guaranteeing that this transformation work is happening in you when you're not adding up to much. When you keep making those mistakes. When your life is full of regret after regret after regret and you feel a weight of shame and embarrassment. God is transforming you. Everyone has, um, call them like disqualifiers in their lives. They've got, we all have these disqualifying lies that say, well, I'm not, that's not me because of this. Or because of, here's what I did. Or because of, here's what I think. Or here's what I'm wrestling with. Or here's my doubts. Those are my disqualifiers. And we, we all have our own version of those disqualifiers. 
And what we're trying to say is, no, Paul, you didn't really mean this in the indicative case. You, you didn't really mean that this is a concrete reality that I'm being transformed. It might be that way for some people, but I have a special circumstance that disqualifies me from becoming like Jesus. Unfortunately, Paul said, all of us. And then he said, this is actually happening. And when we try and negate that, you guys realize that's actually just pride. It's like the flip side of pride when we kind of beat ourselves up, knock ourselves down. We're saying, what Jesus did on the cross, that's great. It wasn't actually enough for me in this situation, though. And what Paul is saying to us here, what I'm trying to say to us this morning is, this reality that you are being changed into the same image as the one who was shining on that mountain. The fact that you are being transformed just like Jesus was transformed is, is a concrete reality. It is happening to you and in you right now. Whether you're in the best season of your life, the worst season of, of your life, the most boring season of your life, the most tired season of your life, you are being transformed. All of us, we've had the veil removed when we said yes to Jesus, when the Spirit came. He's making us more and more like him as we reflect on his glory. So three takeaways for us about this word. You guys doing all right? Three quick takeaways as we close here. Number one, pretty simple. You are being transformed. Doesn't just mean you're getting a little bit of a better attitude. That'll probably happen. Doesn't mean you're, you're just like, new year, new me. It doesn't mean you're just taking on a new personality. It doesn't mean you just like went to therapy and you just started like having better boundaries. All good things, all necessary things. But what we're talking about here is your fundamental reality of who you are is totally different now in Jesus Christ. You are being transformed. It's happening. No question. It's in the indicative case. Now you know what that is. Just like that caterpillar is turning into a butterfly. There is no question. You are in the transformation process. In the mundane, in the boring, in the exciting, in the sad, in the moments of grief and loss, you are being transformed. Second, this is really important. Just like Jesus, you were meant to shine in the darkest places. I want you to think about this in a weird, because we can put this in very spiritual terms and say, I was in this place and there's just a lot of evil and, and, and a lot of things going on and, I, and then something miraculous happened and supernatural happened that people saw like a bright shining light for me. Uh, you know, I, I, you could, things like that can happen, but here's a really, really, really down to earth practical way to think about what this means. A lot of us have messed up family systems that we come from. Uh, everyone comes from a, a family system. No one, no one is... Uh, uh, avoids this. Family systems are, well, we had these rules that were like, you know, these are the, the uh, secret rules that like we don't talk about, but everyone knows, well, don't do that. We have to go to college, or, you know, we don't uh, talk back 
to dad, or we don't question what mom says, or, well, we got to take it easy with so-and-so because, you know, they just snap if something happens, or, or maybe there's other lies or rules about family dynamics that you grew up with. Maybe um, it was very enmeshed and, and no one was allowed to have a different opinion uh, or, or something like that. Well, here, here's a really practical way that this can begin to look. When you begin to become transformed, one of the things it says in Romans that your mind gets renewed. So as you start uh, thinking about yourself as a person that is loved by God and and has a unique assignment from God, that's going to mean that you're going to start to have maybe different opinions. You're not rebelling. They're not formed from you. They're formed from God, right? But you might start to have a different opinion than your family of origin about something. And you know what? That, That might create a bit of a messy situation. Now, what happens, say, Thanksgiving or the holiday season, right? And you're with that family. And and maybe there's a a particular thing that went on. One of the things in my family is if something really shameful happened, you didn't talk about it. You leave it. No, don't talk about that. That's in the past. We're not digging up their stuff. We want to honor them. And and that doesn't actually honor them. What it does is if you don't deal with the secrets and the shame, this is a whole other sermon, uh, it, it's just going to continue to affect you for generations, right? So, so here's what happens. Here's a really practical way. You're in this place where maybe there's some dark things that have happened in the family or there's unspoken rules we just don't talk about and there's a lot of weird toxic conflict or different things like that. You have an opportunity as someone who is being transformed, having a renewed mind, to act and choose differently when you're in those environments. That is just as much being a transformed person as, as, you know, some crazy spiritual thing happening. And you know what it might mean? It might mean you don't try and prove anyone wrong at the dinner table. You just listen. Imagine how many Thanksgiving meals would be transformed if people were just like, oh, thank you for sharing your perspective. And you're not going, no, 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 you know why that's wrong? I read this news article and you need to hear this. What would happen if we became people that were so unoffended because we'd been so transformed by the love of Jesus? And we would begin to enter the darkest places. Our workplaces, maybe, there's perceived darkness. And what if we just became the encouragers in that place? I'm not saying become a doormat so people walk over you, have good boundaries. But what if you became the encourager in that place? What if you became the person who found those who were not on the in-group or the clique and you always invited them to join you for lunch? What if you became the person who went out of your way to speak uh, no ill word behind someone's back? What if you became the person who wasn't passive and would go to the person you did have a conflict with and, and in a very healthy way say, please do not do that in the future to me. Here's how that made me feel. People freak out when you start doing that because it's a very emotionally mature conversation to have. And they're like, wait, you're supposed to like be passive and like be snippy behind my back. Like, I'm not actually going to deal with this face to face. But this is how you can transform the darkest place. That is how you shine in the darkest place in many of our contexts and situations. I spent a little too much time on that. But finally, right here, here's the last thing we need to take away from this work on, on metamorphao. He is not finished. I want to say two things about this real quick. He is not finished with you means one. This does not give you license to continue to be rebellious. 
This does not give you license to say, it's fine, I'm a work in progress. This does not give us license to blow off when he is calling us and inviting us into things. When he's challenging things in our lives. But here's what it does give you. It gives you grace. That when it's been a bad day, when you've made mistakes and you own up to them and you apologize, whatever it is, you don't have to live in regret. You don't have to live in shame. You can say, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. He's not finished with me yet. And you know what? That's a great response when you make a mistake and, and someone like tries to like unload on you. How dare you? You're right. That was really not cool of me. I'm really sorry. And you might not be able to explain this to them depending on who they are or what their background is, but you'll be able to say to yourself, I'm still learning. He is doing a work in me. And I see what Jesus displayed of this transformation, and I know what I'm headed toward. I know that he is doing a work in me in this hard season. And even though it's hard right now, he's not finished. And he will bring me through this. And I will be a more loving person, a more patient person, a more unoffended person, a more gracious person, a more joyful person, whatever it is, you name it, on the other side of this. That's the work he wants to do in you. Here's how the book ends. When I was uh, a kid, I'll close with this story. Uh, when I was a kid, my sister and I, we, we got, I think my parents got it for us. They got us this little uh, monarch butterfly kit. And little caterpillar comes in the little cage and tells you what leaves to feed it. And it gives you all the instructions. Day one, here's what you do. Day two, here's what you do. Laid the whole thing out. We followed it to a T. And then one day, the little caterpillar goes up on the little thing and makes the little chrysalis, the little cocoon. And we're so excited, my sister and I. And we wait, and it's going to take a couple weeks, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. A week goes by, two weeks goes by, three weeks goes by. Uh-oh, four weeks goes by. It's not supposed to take this long. Finally, we, we notice one day it's a little crack in it. It's slowly starting to work its way out. But actually, we noticed that something wasn't right. And it came out and kind of flopped down and it died shortly after. Now I found out since then that every single caterpillar egg that gets laid, uh, scientists that study this, they say it's far less than 10% of them become butterflies. Most do not make it. Most do not make it. Most fall short of what their destiny is supposed to be. And there's so many reasons for that. There's, uh, there's reasons in terms of, uh, you know, predators that get a hold of them. There's not enough food. If they have to be born, monarch butterflies are apparently very picky. Those caterpillars will only eat milkweed, milkweed leaves. And if they get laid on the wrong, uh, the wrong leaf, they won't, they won't eat it. Very picky. Uh, there's all sorts of different reasons. Some of them are, are up to their, their own uh, things that they like. Some of them are environmental conditions, whatever it is. But they don't reach their desired goal and destination. And as I think about that, I, I think about this. There is a transformation process that you and I are in the process of right now, that we are undergoing. And a lot of times, 
our transformation process gets short-circuited like that butterfly that my sister and I were trying to grow and care for. It gets short-circuited by bitterness, unforgiveness. It gets short-circuited by not dealing with disappointment. It gets short-circuited by cynicism, doubt, pain, loss, really valid things that have happened. But we let that stuff destroy us. It gets short-circuited by not surrendering our will, all sorts of different things. And here's my prayer for you, church. My prayer is that you finish well. This is not a, you know, get to next week thing. This isn't a make it another month. Just get through this. My prayer here is that you finish your life well. That you have a big picture, that you don't just look at day one, eat through that apple. Okay, I made it. Day two, eat through those, those pears. Okay, phew, I made it. My prayer for you and for our church is that we look at the long view. That we look to the transformation process that we are in. That Jesus is taking us through. That is meant to usher us into eternity. And my prayer for you and for I is that we do not short-circuit our transformation process. Where there is pain, where there are secrets, where there is sin, where there is bitterness, where there is unforgiveness, where there is cynicism, we begin to confess it, we begin to grieve it, we begin to process it, we begin to pray through it with people, with therapists, with pastors, like whatever it is that's appropriate for the thing that you're dealing with. Engage it. Go through it. Get the people in your life that can help you walk through it. Because I don't want to see a single person's transformation process get short-circuited. There is something absolutely beautiful that God is intended to be you. Something amazing. Something truly unique in the world. And he's inviting you to come. He's inviting you to come partner with him. So we're going to close in worship. I just want to invite you to stand up. And here's what I did. We, we did this a couple weeks ago, but here's what I want you to do. If you've got a, your phone or a notepad or something like that, whatever the thing is that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind this morning, whatever that obstacle is to your transformation right now, just write it down. I want you to write it down. Go ahead, jot it down right now on your phone. Go ahead. Don't have your phone out. Go ahead and do it. Write it down, like seriously. Go ahead. Put it down right now. I know everyone's, every one of us has obstacles in our lives right now. That no one, no one's like, I'm good. And if you're not aware of one, maybe self-awareness is what you need to write down. I want you to write it down. Put it in your notes app, text it to yourself, whatever, whatever works for you. And I want you to take this week and I want you to spend some time praying, Holy Spirit, how are you directing me to get over this hurdle, get over this obstacle? What 
are you asking me to do? What are you inviting me into? Who are the people? What are the places? Uh, what are the things that I need to be uh, doing? Who are the people I need to be with? What are the places I need to be in that are going to help break through this? What are the places you're going to use, God? Who are the people you're going to use? The things you're going to use to help with my transformation process? And then go after those things this week as you're praying. God brings a person to mind, a place to mind, a, a group to mind, a, a thing to mind to do, whatever it is. I want you to be bold and courageous in pursuing it. Or if you're like, this is the thing, but I have no idea what that is or how to pursue that, ask me, ask a group leader if you're in groups. Find, find a resource that can help you get what you need. And then I want you to tell someone, hey, here's the obstacle. Here's what God said to do. Anything else that, I, that seems like I'm missing? Any blind spots I have there? Because we always leave things out. We're like, ah, I'll do this and this, but that one's really hard. I'm not going to do that part of it. And then let them push you on that. Say, hey, I'm seeing this. Maybe you need to think about that, that too. And then say, yeah, thank you. Can you keep me accountable? Check in on me. Pray for me. This is the most important thing you can do with your life, but it is probably one of the least urgent. To step out of all the invitations that the world is giving to be changed into whatever image that it's throwing up this week for you. To say, no, 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 I've got a longer term vision than that something that's shining brilliantly, something that's beautiful, something I'm supposed to grab. So Lord, as we come before you and are present to you, we just ask, we just ask that you would transform us. We trust that you are doing the transforming work. Let's worship him. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.